1: This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode of the show again. In recent years, the Premier League has been dominated by Manchester City. We are very firmly in the Pep Guardiola era, an era in which City have become one of the most successful clubs in English football. But it wasn't always like that. And today on Football Social Daily, we're talking to someone who's experienced both the old and the new at Manchester City ex Blues defender Nader Manua.
2: That summer came, Mark Hughes came, brought in Vincent Company, Zabaleta, and so on. And then all of a sudden, bang, takeover. New owners are here, robinho's here. And the talk about how this is going to be the greatest thing ever.
1: Of course, that Abu Dhabi takeover has catapulted City to new heights with the watershed moment being that first silverware under Roberto Mancini. But despite the Italian's legendary status at the club, it never worked out between him and Nadem, and Anua feels there are some things he still needs to get off of his chest.
2: I'm glad that City are in a position that they're in, and some of my friends won Premier League titles, but I'm always left in this position where like, I kind of need to speak to Mancini at some point before I die figure out what caused that drastic change at the football club
1: in this episode of football social daily we'll hear about nadam's journey from academy player to first team regular the transition from Main Road to the Etihad, and of course whether his mate Micah Richards really did burst onto the scene. Oh mate, like no other. 100% <laughs> yeah. burst onto the scene, yeah. Someone who made 188 Premier League appearances for Manchester City, for Sunderland and for Queen's Park Rangers. A warm welcome to the show. Nader Manua, how you doing mate? Oh,
2: I'm very good, that's a nice intro. Thanks for having <laughs> me mate, how are you?
1: I'm well mate, and it's good to have you with us. You're not a stranger to the world of podcasting, are you? No, You've been getting no, no. Stuck in.
2: Interestingly, because of some of the stuff that I'm doing at the minute, I'm wondering how many more I need to do before I actually am just a podcaster. So I think I'm drifting down that route, to be honest.
0: Then you did you did your own series, then? Yeah, I saw
2: it. Yeah, I did my own series, and I'm involved in three Man City related ones now, and there's an ESPN one. I think I might be a podcaster. I
1: reckon if you're into double figures. You can claim it. Yeah, as soon as we've well our into podcast, we all started updating our LinkedIn saying, We're <laughs> "Yeah, are a weird one though." Yeah. When
2: I just disregard yeah. all 188 of those Premier League games, saying, "No, I'm just a podcaster." That's the, <laughs> that's the main Maybe thing. Maybe as,
1: yeah. as soon as you record your 189th uh, podcast, which you oh. might have already done. Uh, You've you, definitely got more podcaster. podcast caps
2: thing. Yeah, I'm, than I'm, a, I'm caps. a yeah, I'm a I'm a, I'm of a, a veteran veteran. I think it's official. I'm a podcaster. I think we can
1: claim it. And obviously, one of those podcasts of the many that you're involved with, as you mentioned, is the official Manchester City podcast. Which launched with the sports social podcast network very very recently.
2: yeah, it certainly has like I'll be completely like transparent so I left city 11 years ago but upon retirement like they want me back whether it's to work for the charity, whether it's to do some of the media stuff or like to it's a significant role to be sitting creating something that means so much to so many people. So they could have very easily forgotten about me because the club's kind of changed from when the last time I was there, you oh, could yeah. say. Kind of changed. Mm, slightly. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, but it's good to sit there because I think the way that I describe the club, it's like got the heart, it's the heart of a small club and the body of a giant. Yeah, yeah. But it's that heart that sort of, you can connect with people. Um, like if you, feel, if you felt it once, you felt it throughout. So it's nice that I'm still a part of that. And I can talk about my own experiences and still be relevant to people he went from like watching me to seeing John Stones play in midfields. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all good.
1: Who are some of the people you've chatted to on the show? There's been some good guests already.
2: Yeah. Kyle Walker, Scott Carson, Owen Stephon. This week, wasn't yeah, it? Owen Hargreaves as well. So it's myself and it's Rob Pollard. And Rob's like more structured in terms of how he does his interviews. Whereas I'm more informed and I just listen to conversations. And like the stuff which I want to ask someone based on something that they say where she's more so got the structure of how he wants oh, to so do like things. I more semi structured yeah, 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 I like to before. keep it flowing. But like when people say really interesting things, like I think that could end up being more interested in the question which I want to ask, because then they're going to give me, yeah. oh, they're going to give us, rather, something that wasn't expected. Mm. So I like the fact that we can both sit on there, and Rob is like very, he's not serious, but like he's interviewing someone, and then I'm there, and there's another former pro. Oh, there's a pro there. And so they talk to me a bit differently, and it's almost like it's not really a podcast. We're just talking about the game. Mm, yeah. So I enjoy listening and learning about their situation because the club's very different to when I was there. But then also, Rob can still find the structure because otherwise, I'd I'd do like a five-hour podcast. You know what I mean? I'd just be chatting <laughs> yeah. away. But he sort of structures it, and it's um, it's good. I think the fans like it. And they're desperate to, as is the case with most football fans, to gain some level of insight about the game. Because we all love it. And you'd be amazed how many things you have in common with the people who play the game that you love so much.
1: It says here you started your Manchester City career in 2004, but Mm. you were probably part of the academy way before that. You were born in Nigeria and grew up in Manchester. So just tell us about how you first started at Manchester City.
2: I joined City's academy at the age of 10. To be official, it wasn't really an academy when I got scouted. It was a centre of excellence. Mm. And then as it turned over into an academy, I was Jim Cassell, who was the director. I was the first signing when it became an academy.
1: All right, that's a pretty big claim to say. Listen,
2: I, if, it, if it wasn't for me, the being on <laughs> Phil Foden, remember that, yeah? <laughs> but um, yeah, I was, the, I was the first sign. Obviously, they had the age groups and stuff, but when they made that transition to a different category, like, that was great. And at the time, like, I wasn't a massive City fan. I just liked football. Uh, I was playing for my Sunday league team, which I don't think they're going anymore, AFC Clayton. I used to play for my age group and the age group up. Play Saturday, Sunday, Mm. I loved it. Just love playing football. And I got scouted. And interestingly, after I joined City, my dad actually came out and said that um, United were in for me as well. But my dad told the scout that I'd supported City. So I didn't want to go to United. <laughs> Bernie Bridges before you he Literally, he set that alight. Yeah, but I yeah. didn't know that. And at the time, it wasn't really, wasn't that deep. It wasn't that deep. <laughs>
1: but it was a big deal back then because the Manchester United Academy was iconic for yeah. what it had produced.
2: I'll, I'll be clear. Do you know when United played Liverpool, was it 95-96, when Liverpool wore the white suits and Cantona scored in the FA Cup final? Yeah. So that summer, I actually had the Man United FA Cup cassette tape. With the player <laughs> singing a song in it, so like I wasn't like a United fan, but I had that. Yeah, yeah. So then the year later to be playing for City, but then the moment I joined City, that was that. Yeah, yeah. Getting a chance to go to Main Road, further down the road to ball boy for City, and I remember as I was ball boy, the guy I used to look after us. I'm so sad I've forgotten his name. He used to give me programmes from the 80s and so on. So I was learning about City mm. as it was happening, and honestly, the feeling of like being at Main Road in the little ball boy section. And you just sort of like peer through the door and you see all the first team just lined up, ready to go out for a big game. And you see them walk out to like 30 odd thousand people. Oh my God, mate, it's amazing. <laughs> and from then, like- That's it's, the bug. Oh, I was I was all in, yeah. loved it. Loved like wearing the same shirt as the first team, even though it didn't fit because I was a bit bigger than most people mm-hmm. at that sort of age. But it's, it was amazing to see that journey. And I'm not old now, but I did ball boy for Sean Wright Phillips when he was in the youth team, you know what I mean, <laughs> playing in the youth club and stuff like that. And he's, he's 40 plus now. So you and put now that into you perspective. see Bradley
1: Wright Phillips and he's retired. And then there's, yeah, there's, uh, exactly. The football has changed. It's changed an awful started, lot. Yeah.
2: But the academy was great. I had a great experience there. It's not obviously as plush as it is now. Mm. But like I say, the club still has the heart of a small, not small, not small.
0: Community.
2: The community side
0: is always there. It its roots, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the thing. Well, talking of the roots of Man
1: City, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Main Road and obviously the Etihad is wildly different to Main Road but there are still so many supporters that go and watch City at the Etihad Mm. that were there at Main Road. That was a proper old football ground, wasn't it? Yeah. What was that like to kind of be around that stadium? No, it was
2: was class... um the feeling in the build up before a game, you know, there's that sense around the sort of area in the Moss side and so on. Getting on, I think it's the 111 that would take you there and all that stuff. And there's a huge <laughs> sense of, yeah, I remember, I don't remember my roots, my friend. Piccadilly Gardens. I've worst. got, I've got. Where's Brown I've, I've used got, to get um, the bus
0: to train as yeah, well, he told me. I've got yeah. an 11. anecdote for you, actually. Go on, uh, on, do you go, go, go to or Loretto? I, I went to Severian, yeah. So basically, I went to Loretto, just round the corner. Yeah. And uh, the head of year, every single year at the start of the year, said, so there's a, a boy you might know, uh, Zaverian, His name is Nader Manua, and he had the choice of either going to study. I think she said chemical engineering, yeah. or he had the choice of choosing sixty thousand pounds a week. To <laughs> <come Manchester City. laughs> and guess what? I said- she, she, she had a projector of that picture, which is behind Nader, yeah. which is of him. And she said, "Have a guess which one he chose." Yeah, she takes the decision. next one, and we all just felt like, right, my dream's dead. Then. Yeah, we gotta go down the education. As, route. As you
2: can see, um, you know, <laughs> as I look back on my life. I'm clearly disappointed with playing professional <laughs> football for 16 years. It's not really set me up for, for the rest of my life, but yeah. Um, sure,
1: you could have been a chemical engineer.
2: Yeah, to be fair though, that's the thing I still could be. See, yeah. that's could, the difference, could. my friend. Didn't but not you, many people looking for 36-year-old footballers.
1: <laughs> yeah. you had, didn't you do an accounting thing as well? I
2: did, yeah. I did a SEMA accountancy course for a year. This was after I did my A-levels, which I finished while I was still playing, still playing in the Premier League and whatever. Right. And I thought, okay in line with what I've done, what would be a nice thing. Cause I I got three A's for a level of mass business studies and IT. I was like, it's cooking. You know what I mean? Like that's me still playing. Like what would filter into, what could I do off the back of that? So I said, let me do accounting. Honestly, one of the most boring years of my life. Doing that. <laughs> and that's me trying to be respectful. I think what made it worse was that, you know, bear with me on this, yeah. One of my biggest regrets of all the things which I think I've missed out on, the thing which ex- excited me the most was that first year of people going to university like freshers, the, the freshers yeah the flat freshers, freshers mean, experience yeah. even though it's yeah. nonsense because i like i had the career that i had yeah i still <laughs> feel like i missed out on that yeah but then this sema course that i was doing it's not is it that manchester uni whatever but i was with people in 30s 40s 50s right who were trying to like advance themselves in their own careers and stuff yeah. so i didn't even have that experience anyway <laughs> i remember we'd finished training on uh tuesday so it's the tougher day in the week traditionally I'm zonked and I'm sitting in this class with people who are like nearly twice my age. We're doing like financial accounting. I'm next to a radiator. Like it's heating me up. I'm like, yo, I'm falling asleep here. <laughs> <laughs> But another while I'm realizing like, I don't need to do this. Uh, so that's why it only lasted for a year. And I wasn't surrounded by like-minded people because like I say, I wasn't trying to do it to further my career. But the vast majority of those people were. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was different I experienced it I learned from it as such but yeah. nah not well, for me
1: I, I can confirm that i have married an accountant and she's boring so you know <laughs> it's, it's does not she for listen me to, to the talk podcast about your partner my <laughs> does she help listen to the podcast I was going to say you won't be coming home tonight if you yeah. do September's only three months away though so we could get you in a little
2: oh, fresh or you could relax freshers or something no nah, nah, no listen I'm distinctly, re- <laughs> I'm distinctly retired everyone's
1: handing out flyers at Manchester <laughs> you know, no 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 I, to
2: and do you know what What made it worse actually so I was with my my wife recently and we went to uh, Hello Oriental and stuff like that in mm. town. I was looking around, so students got it nice these days, you know, like this, this could have been me if only I didn't start playing professionally at 70,
0: you know what I mean? <laughs> but hey, take it from me, when we saw that picture of you in that hall that year, I was thinking that's my dream goal. Hey,
2: I got to give a shout to one of the teachers. I don't remember exactly what his name is, but I think he was a business studies teacher. And he said, whatever score, whatever grade you get for AS level, you can expect to drop a grade for A2 level. And I said, why? said, because it gets tougher. So I went from a B at A, S level to an A, A2 level. So he can smoke that one.
1: <laughs> when did you find out that you were going to play for Manchester City for the first time?
2: So there are two parts to that. And the debuts is a, is a big thing. Um, but the story starts a bit before... So, we just played um, Man United in a reserve game. Things are like the Tuesday, I think it's the Tuesday night. And it was at the regional arena across from City Stadium. And it was like a good cool game. I think it was like 6,000 people there watching this derby. It's me versus Kieran Richardson. He was like my nemesis at the time. <laughs> Hated him, all this stuff, and like had a good game. It's like proper. Like those games meant a lot to me. Like when you're a reserve back then, like you enjoyed being that. Um, but we, we won anyway. And I think the next day I was at college. And then I got a call from the kitman Les Chapman. And I was like, oh, you all right, chap? How are you doing? He said, oh, good, yeah. He said, oh, what number do you want to be? Uh, I was what for what? He said, for the weekend. I was like, well, I don't know what you mean. He said, oh, for the weekend, for the game. I was like, what? He said, all right, I'll give you number 16. So I went from playing in that reserve game and being at college to receiving a call now saying I'm number 16 for City in the Premier League for the home game against Chelsea 2004-2005.
1: And this is prime Mourinho-Chelsea, isn't it?
2: So, Nicholson Alcum scored a penalty, City 1-1-0. That's the only game Chelsea lost all season. Oh, that yeah, oh, that was their only loss? That was their only loss all season in the league. And that was the game, That was my very first game that I was in a squad for it. So it's because of you, obviously. Duh. <laughs> uh, also, so I was 17. and So the City bonus at the time, uh, and this is way back when, it was £1,250 per point. Yeah, which is, in the grand scheme of Premier League football, it's like a decent bonus. It wasn't amazing, it was a decent bonus. So that was 3,750 for that win. But I was 17, so I wasn't professional, and I was on £85 pound a week. My friend, if you want to talk about what being a king feels like, he's <laughs> going to college the next week knowing full well at some point.
0: <laughs> on the curry mile as well. Mate, you might you be able
2: you to buy, well buy the whole mile. <laughs> <laughs> My
1: D- God. Danny Simpson bought a laptop with his first paycheck. What do you buy? It definitely wasn't a laptop.
2: Yeah. Um, i was saving up for a car and the car i got was a vw polo um great car great car Yeah. yeah It, it was until so I played more games, and people looked at me like, Why is this guy in a VW Polo? Because <laughs> as you've seen, I'm,
1: I'm not like the smallest person either. It's like Angolo Conte with his mini. <laughs> yeah. <isn't> it? yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like I, Dan Byrne with his smart car. <laughs> never like, Dan Byrne has a smart car. Dan Byrne has a smart car. Sorry no, to go no, ahead. That, it's a publicity illegal. stunt, but.
2: Yeah, that's the league. He must be sponsored by them. There's no <laughs> way he's doing that from a comfort perspective. So that was the first game I was involved in. And then the next game, I think, was the League Cup against Arsenal. Jeez. And to find out that I was playing in that was surreal because I think what some people don't really grasp is like when you're um, in a reserve or 18s or whatever, you're very much just like people on the street except you like, you know, you got to train with your team. But a first team isn't there for you. Like you might train with them, but you're not part of that. You're not part of that cycle. You're separate to that. So then when all of a sudden you're just in it, how are you supposed to act? Like match day or we've got to be at the stadium for like five, Okay, so i get there at five and now what do I do? Because I've never like had to prepare in the stadium like that. And you look around now, and previously as a reserve, senior players come to you, but now you're the young player going to them and you're in their space. And you're sitting around like, how do I get warm? What's my prep before this? Mm. And I was only 17, 18 at the time. Right. So like, it's 17 in fact. So like, didn't know how to do it. But the feeling when you're walking out onto the pitch, firstly to do the up, and then secondly when it's got like 20, 30,000 people there, because it wasn't a sellout. It's surreal, my friend. But yeah. What, what a what feeling when all of a sudden like you're the thing which previously you would have been watching. That's you out there and say so you play well, everyone's talking about you. Like and I still like college in a few days' time, like bet you were the you know f- what I mean? most I
0: bet you most popular one back it's in college when you went back. Friend.
2: In... What you want you want to talk about
0: your weekend? Let me tell you about mine. <laughs> <laughs> Another
1: question we always love to ask our guests were you ever involved in boot cleaning of any kind? And if you were, whose boots did you get to scrub up? So,
2: the boot cleaning thing is a very interesting topic, yeah. From my academy team, my age group kind of escaped it a bit. There was the one where you had to occasionally clean the coach's car. But the boot cleaning thing, it wasn't that big a deal at I that I think that's point. worse,
1: you know, cleaning the boss's car. Yeah, but it
2: wasn't very often, though. Right. It kind of—it was a bit of a punishment. And then for the first team, like we had Les Chapman, who was the kit man, and someone else. And like you would help to a certain extent, but the the better ones are like when you travel somewhere and you have to help with all the bags coming off the coach and this, that, and the other, because it's not really... Let me, put, let me put it how it is, okay? So like some old school people really believe in the idea of like boot cleaning and this, that, and the other, but some of it is like hazing and bullying. And as a consequence, like some people champion it, but it's a bit suspect. Right. It's a bit suspect because it's mm. like, it's like the tip of the iceberg because there's a lot of other stuff that goes on. And there are ways to instill discipline without having you basically have to just be a servant to someone. So I didn't have to do that. I think I'm pretty grounded. I never wanted my boot. I, To be fair, I tell you what it was. I, if I was in the first team, I'd clean my own boots as well. But it's weird that when you go into the first, you sorry, when you're in the academy, you clean your own boots. Then you're in the first mm. team, someone else goes and cleans them for you. But it's almost like a test. Are you really going to let this person just take your boots and clean them? No, no, I'll clean them so that he doesn't have to know what I mean so there was none of that like um none of that stuff really I didn't have to clean anyone's boots but you know still had to just keep as quiet as possible so I could just be accepted yeah because
1: <laughs> yeah, it did change quite quite abruptly didn't it from the YTS yeah. days to what we see now but in terms of your career do you but remember games Are you the sort the of person game. who can remember everything or?
2: depends on the game like right. let me call myself out so I think I scored probably 16 20 goals, something like that. Yeah, for the record, that's more than Danny Simpson. <laughs> and um, I can't remember all of them, which is weird considering like some of the ones that scored hundreds remember every finer detail right. of it. But I can't remember all of mine now, and I definitely can't remember. You're not the games tempted other. to
1: like can on that YouTube. one against Chelsea though, can't
2: you? Well, another interesting fact so for me, I never used to watch my goals back because it kind of set the tone whereby good or bad, we move on to the next. Like if we're doing a team review, then we do a team review. But some of the ones you'd be like, oh, look what I did, look what I did. Like, Someone can then say, oh, look what you didn't do. Right, And you have to sit there and own that as well. So I had to distance myself from it. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's
1: like people celebrating goals. I remember Danny Weber telling me once that he would celebrate every goal because someone once said to him, that might be your last goal. You might get a horrible injury and you never get to score a goal again. So just go for it.
2: That's tough, yeah. I, I spent the 16 years of my career thinking I had a celebration planned for every game. I went into it Basically, the way I played football was like how people play lottery.
0: You buy that <laughs> ticket
2: thinking you're going to win, yeah? yeah? No matter what, you could have lost every week for your entire life, but you still play that week yeah. because in the back of your mind, like, this is it. Yeah.
1: And if you don't buy a ticket, what happens if you do win the week you that go. you don't buy a ticket? You there never you go. forgive yourself. There you go. You? So
2: in my mind, going into every game, I was like, I'm going to score this game, I'm going to score this game, and I've got this celebration lined up. My friend, there's nearly 500 games and 16 goals, so you figure that out for yourself. Well, it took you three
1: years to score your first goal, right?
2: It did. And I was concerned because I did used to be a striker in the academy. <laughs> so then when all of a sudden I'm first team and I'm a defender and I'm like not really getting the opportunities and every time I do I'm kicking it wide to so then get the most potentially the winning goal against Spurs for Sven-Goran Eriksen. And I didn't know the celebration. So my mum was in a stand so I ran, ran towards the corner flag just blowing kisses towards her. <laughs> it's, it's cute. It's cute. But what a feeling, what a connection. And I promise you like the feeling of, like, something all a ball is doing is crossing a line. Like, you shouldn't get as emotional as you do after scoring. But I definitely did that, and it's amazing that feeling of scoring, especially in front of your home fans, and everyone's cheering because of something that you've done. Yeah, like, there's no you can't find anything else like it.
1: Here's a question that the whole of the Premier League want to know the answer to, right? Manchester City, mm. mid-2000s. Yes. Did Micah Richards really burst onto the scene? <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Micah 100% burst onto the scene. So there his story is an interesting one because he came from Oldham and he was playing as a centre mid and everyone saw him for like the goals he scored. He'd be jumping up from corners. He's like standing two feet above everybody else. Like incredible talent and all this stuff. And he was good, but he was a bit raw. I think he'd probably say that himself. As was the case for me, was the case for him. You get an opportunity through good fortune to a certain extent. And I think it was me that was injured. And maybe Danny Mills was suspended. So Micah's now playing. And Micah scores and Micah plays well. Now that's Micah's spot. And that's how that's how quickly things can just happen. Yeah. So if he was one of the he was never he was very good but he was never perceived as a golden boy with the golden boys you know about them before the season starts you know what's going to happen and they are going to try and drip feed them into the team but that wasn't the case with Micah but as soon as he arrived he was like exceptional and then before you know it like he's England's youngest ever defender so in the space mm-hmm. of like 18 months a guy who most people didn't know about that was now like the poster on like phone boxes and stuff representing Adidas. like listen, <laughs> that's bursting on the scene. So you saw so it me burst on the scene. Oh, mate, like no other, one hundred percent burst onto the scene. Yeah, I,
0: I, I was going to say I wanted to talk about probably the most in, probably important period of City's history, the takeover. Mm. Obviously, the season before you finished 14th. You know, it was a Manchester City side where, as a United fan. You had no you,
2: concerns, yeah? No concerns. Even though we did the double over you, had know, no know, concerns, yeah? Sean
0: Ryan Phillips still haunts me to this day. <laughs> but um, t- talk me through what happened during that period. Because obviously Sheikh Mansour bought the club off uh, Thaksine Yeah, There was a lot of controversy of what he was doing with the club. And then to go from, you know, kind of Premier League minnows who were just coasting every season yep. to then becoming pretty much the richest club in the world. yeah, How did the dynamic of the club start to change? You know, where they were starting to target these higher profile yeah. people and were you doubting your future? Uh, like, what was going on?
2: So to add a bit more context to it, so the FA Cup
0: coming up this weekend,
2: a lot of people are like, oh my God, I can't believe City United haven't played an FA Cup final before. I'm like, well why wouldn't you believe that? Like, have you seen Man City? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's the thing. It was, yeah, it was yeah exactly. Sense. It's not like it's been a century worth of the two teams going head to head. City didn't even have a derby for three years because we weren't even in the division. So, that needs to be remembered. But anyway, so when I made my debut 2004-05, by the end of that season, we had a chance to qualify for, for Europe, for the UEFA Cup, if we would have won the last game of the season against Middlesbrough. We didn't end up winning that. Middlesbrough made it in. They made it to the final and so on. So we were good then yeah the next two seasons weren't as good with the third season after that being like particularly bad it was like a different sense of excitement about the club because now he was the first foreign manager and he happens to be an england manager and he wants to bring in young players and play exciting football yeah and that was a far cry from the end of the last era where with stuart pierce at the helm we didn't score a goal at home from february through to may yeah we didn't score a goal at home <laughs> Oh I, know. oh, I know. From February through to May. Listen, I know as well, my friend. <laughs> when you're playing at the back thinking, well, one goal might decide it, <laughs> it's a tough spot to be in. But um, Chino actually came in, it a sense of hope, and Sven was playing some good football. And that was the season where we managed to do double over United, and he was bringing in younger players. So there was a different feel around the club then. But then, come the end of the season, it's turned into a bit of a shambles again because his assets are being frozen. He's not going to be allowed in the country. And it's like, a, it's like a mini crisis. But as a player, you're never fully involved in the crises that happen above you you're always concerned about the ones that happen right in front of you. And then that summer came, Mark Hughes came, brought in Vincent Company, Zabaleta and so on. And then all of a sudden, bang, take over. New owners are here, Robinho's here, and the talk about how this is going to be the greatest thing ever. As a City fan, it's a, it's a weird thing to hear, and as a City player, because like, well, how do you become the best all of a sudden, just with new owners? Because United, Chelsea, Liverpool, all these teams, Arsenal, like, yeah. They're the teams. Mm. How do you go past them when well, you look at the infrastructure you've got around you?
1: What was the reaction when Rubinho came in? Because all of the reports claim that he was on his way to Chelsea from Real yeah. Madrid and there was that famous incident where the club shop at Stamford Bridge had printed up all of these Rubinho shirts and then he turns up in South Manchester. <laughs>
2: so Rubinho is a tough one to describe now because he's in a lot of trouble now. Okay. Yeah. But as a guy at the time, um, nice guy, don't think he knew where he was. Great player.
0: Apparently, he thought he was coming to United. Yeah,
2: Definitely. because this is how much things have changed from for most of my life. If someone from abroad said Manchester, they were talking about Man United. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was no discussion about Man City. Like same way you'll say Madrid, you don't think Atletico. But that's what it was. Um And not to say City were as big as Atletico Madrid are right now or anything. But he came and he did his best. But like the manager wasn't right for him because Mark Hughes was very like data driven you know, his bigger picture, urine test for hydration, blood test recovery, all this stuff, like so much science behind it. And Rubino just wants to play football. I promise you that's all he wants to do. And he was pretty good at football. I'm not going to lie. But all of a sudden, he's there amongst a bunch of other transfers who came before, which made sense what the club was. Mm. And as every window went for City, they were getting the transfers right overall. I think there was like a Bellamy and Nigel Dion that came in in January Mm. and so on. And there was... It's a weird feeling as a player to all of a sudden see that the club can afford whoever they want. Yeah. But then also, not everyone wants to come. I remember Kaká didn't want to come because we basically sound like this weird football club that's just got money all of a sudden. But to see people now being linked, especially in your position, and it's not like Tom Smith or whatever, who's you know cheap bargain from wherever. It's like this player that is one of the best in Europe is now being linked with your club. And it's a weird one for me across the years when I was at City and I was playing or in the squad they brought in like Veteran Cholico who could play right back or centre back they brought in Jerome Boateng who could play right back or centre back there was Savage who was playing centre back there were loads there were a million players that came in to the positions that I could play in but I tended to finish the seasons and you know and play in the team ultimately so I wasn't too bothered as such benefit of the doubt I wasn't too bothered but yeah it changed a little bit but interestingly so the that season, 08, 09, we were in the UEFA Cup. We made it to the quarterfinals. For a lot of City fans will tell you about the game against Hamburg uh, in the quarterfinal, second leg. It's one of the biggest games and best games that's been played at that stadium. I was a part of that whole run. I played the whole half, second half of the season. So much so that I won two out of three Player of the Month awards for the last three months of the season. That was my best season for Man City. And that's the season after we were taken over. And that's the season when we are in Europe when the team was as good as it had ever been. So the idea that everything changes negatively for people who've come through the academy and been there before, isn't necessarily that simple from the get-go. Ended up going that way, but it didn't start that way. And even to put it into perspective, Mark Hughes, I played in his last game, but then as soon as Mancini came in, I barely played again. So it's not necessarily the state of the club. It's about the person at the helm and Mm -hmm. what they want to see that will dictate whether someone's ultimately good enough or not, as opposed to the perceived nature of what the club wants to try and achieve i think
1: that is interesting because manchester city obviously have had unprecedented success by their own standards in terms of the history of the club particularly in recent years under pep guardiola but under those previous managers you've mentioned there was an fa cup win Mm. and obviously the premier league win do you feel in your career that you missed out on those glories because of what happened where you went on loan to sunderland and then of course you moved on to qpr which we'll come on to but Mm. in terms of when you look back at your career that you had and in terms of the honours that maybe mm. could be underneath your name that aren't, does that <laughs> great on you at all?
2: You know what? That, that's a good question. It's one that would be answered differently today as, as it would be 10 years ago. Mm. Because I found it tough initially to go from playing under Mark Hughes to not getting a single game under yeah. Mancini, because it was the same team. And I think when there's such a drastic change and you never gain the closure around it, then it's tough to accept as such but ultimately, nobody cares from the outside because if the team's winning then it's irrelevant mm. you know what i mean and if you sound if you come out and speak ill of a manager you just sound like you're just a disgruntled employee who's not getting a game yeah and i was always aware of that hate that and i was sad that when i left on loan that they kind of won something because i would have loved to have been a part of it but then you start knowing football maybe if i was there maybe they wouldn't have won their fake Cup. you know what i mean you just don't know yeah And it's tough because now here's the split between me as a player and me as a fan of the football club. I'm delighted they won something. In fact, to put it into real context now, I'm well-liked by the football club, by the people within it and people outside it. But there's a difference between a former player and a legend. difference is the ones who've won something are classed as legends.
1: Does it annoy you that when I introduced you today on the podcast, I could have said Premier League winner, FA Cup winner, Nader Manure, but I couldn't say that. You're not bothered by that? No, no, no.
2: Like... I'm not bothered by it purely because I know the work that all those guys had to put in to achieve those those sure. things, especially the Premier League one, because I was there for the first six months of the season. Mm. I played one league game and like three or four cup games for City. I think I could have played more. The manager decided he didn't want to play me, is what it is. But they won that, I didn't. You know what I mean? And if I would have had the opportunity to stay, like what annoys me more than anything is some of the best football I ever played was years after I left City in situations which weren't as good as they were at City, because I was understanding the game more and developing as a player. Mm. So I think, well, what could I have been like if I was in this infrastructure playing with better players all the time? But that's not the way football works. What you want yeah. and what you get are two completely yeah. different things, aren't they? So I'm not salty about it at all. I'm glad that City are in a position that they're in and some of my friends won Premier League titles. But I'm always left in this position where like, I kind of need to speak to Mancini at some point before I die to figure out what caused that drastic change at the football club, and if there's anything that I could have done, because then I can pass the regret over to myself, instead of having everything up in the air, wondering, like, well, why did things go wrong?
1: Football Social Daily. Well, that was just part one of our chat with Nadem. Hit subscribe and you won't miss part two, which drops next week. You heard him talking about former City boss Roberto Mancini there. And Anua is candid about his relationship with him in part two of our interview. When I was going through that stuff at City, I hated him like with a passion. Poor me decided said, "Don't ever speak
2: back to me again." Never played a game from that point.
1: Trust me, if you're a City fan, you won't want to miss it. Especially as Nadem reveals what it was like to play against City at the Etihad in perhaps the most iconic Premier League game of all time—the final day of the 2011-12 season, where he was in the QPR side who very nearly derailed Aguero's magical moment. All that to come and more from Nadam next week, so stay tuned for that. But from myself, Joel and Marley, that is it for now. We'll catch you tomorrow. This is Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a Voice work Sport production for the Sport Social Podcast Network.